This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by April Gonzalez. Charles Dickens' 200th Anniversary Collection, Volume 4, Section 7, by Charles Dickens. A Message from the Sea Chapter 1 The Village And a mighty singular and pretty place it is, as ever I saw in all the days of my life, said Captain Jorgan, looking up at it. Captain Jorgan had to look high to look at it, for the village was built sheer up the face of a steep and lofty cliff. There is no road in it, there is no wheeled vehicle in it, there is not a level yard in it, for the sea beach to the clip top of two irregular rows of white houses placed opposite to one another, and twisting here and there, and there and here, rose like the sides of a long succession of stages, of crook ladders, and you climb up the village or climb down the village by the staves between some six feet wide or so, and made of sharp, irregular stones. The old pack saddle, long laid aside in most parts of England, as one of the appendages of its infancy, flourish here intact. Strings of pack horses and pack donkeys strolled slowly up the staves of the ladders, bearing fish and coal and such other cargo as unshipping at the pier from the dancing fleet of village boats, and from two or three little coasting traders. As the beast's burden ascended laden, or descended light, they got so lost at intervals in the floating clouds of village smoke, that they seemed to dive down some of the village chimneys, and come to the surface again far off, high above others. No two houses in the village were alike, in chimney, size, shape, door, window, gable, root-free, anything. The sides of the ladders were musical with water, running clear and bright. The stays were musical with the clattering feet of the pack-horses and pack-donkeys, and the voices of the fishermen urging them up, mingled with the voices of the fishermen's wives and many children. The pier was musical with the wash of the sea, the creaking of the captains and the wind lasses, and the airy fluttering of little vanes and sails, the rough sea-bleached boulders of which the pier was made, and the whiter boulders of the shore, were brown with drying nets. The red-brown cliffs, richly wooded to the extremest verge, had their softened and beautiful forms reflected in the bluest water under the clear North Devonshire sky of a November day, without a cloud. The village itself is so steep in optimal foliage, from the houses lying on the pier to the topmost round of the topmost larder, that one might have fancied it was out a bird's nesting. Out was, as indeed it was, a wonderful climber. And mentioning birds, the place was not without some music from them too. For the rook was very busy, with the higher levels, and the gull with his flapping wings with fishing in the bay, 
and the lusty little robin was hopping among the great stone blocks and iron rings of the breakwater, fearless in the fate of his ancestors and the children in the wood. Thus it came to pass that Captain Jorgen, sitting balancing himself on a pier wall, struck his leg with his open hand, as some men do when they are pleased, as he always did when he was pleased, and said, A mighty singular and pretty place it is, as ever I saw in all the days of my life. Captain Jorgen had not been through the village, but had come down to the pier by a winding side road, though a preliminary look at it from the level of his own natural element. He had seen many things and places, and had stowed them all away in a shrewd intellect and a vigorous memory. He was an American-born, was Captain Jorgen, a New Englander, but he was the citizen of the world, and a combination of the most of the best qualities of most of its best countries. For Captain Jorgen to sit anywhere in his long-skirted blue coat and blue trousers, without holding converse with everybody within speaking distance, was a sheer impossibility. So the captain fell to talking with the fishermen, and to asking them knowing questions about the fishery, and the tides, and the currents, and the race at water off point yonder, and what you kept in your eye, and got into a line without what else when you run into the little harbour, and other nautical profundities. Among the men who exchanged ideas with the captain was a young fellow, who exactly hid his fancy, a young fisherman of two or three and twenty, in a rough sea dress of his craft, with a brown face, dark curling hair, and bright modest eyes under the sou'western heart, and with a frank but simple and retiring manner, which the captain found uncommonly taking. I'd bet a thousand dollars, said the captain to himself, that your father was an honest man. Might you be married now? asked the captain, when he had some talk with his new acquaintance. Not yet. Going to be? said the captain. I hope so. The captain's keen glance followed the slightest possible turn of the dark eye, and the slightest possible tilt to southwestern heart. The captain then slapped both his legs and said to himself, Never knew such a good thing in all my life. There's his sweetheart looking over the wall. There was a very pretty girl looking over the wall, from a little platform of the cottage, vine and fuchsia, and she certainly did not look as if the presence of this young fisherman in the landscape made it any less sunny and hopeful for her. Captain Jorgen, having doubled himself up to laugh with that hearty good nature, which is quite exultant in the innocent happiness of other people, had endowed himself, and was going to start a new subject when there appeared coming down the lower ladder's stone, a man whom he hailed as Tom Pettifer, ho! Tom Pettifer, ho! responded with alacrity, and in speedy course descended on the pier. Afraid of a sunstroke in England in November, Tom, that you wear your tropical hat, strongly paid outside a paper line inside here, said the captain, eyeing it. It's as well to be on the safe side, sir, 
replied Tom. Safe side, repeated the captain, laughing. You'd guard against sunstroke with that old hat in a nice pack. Well, what have you made out of the post office? It is the post office, sir. What's the post office? said the captain. The name, sir. The name that keeps the post office. A coincidence, said the captain. I like a bit. Show me where it is. Goodbye, shipmates, for the present. I shall come and have another look at you before I leave this afternoon. This was addressed to all there, but especially the young fishermen. So all there acknowledge it, especially the young fishermen. He's a sailor, said to one another, as they looked after the captain moving away. That he was, and so outspeaking was the sailor in him, that although his dress had nothing nautical about with it, with a single exception of its colour, but was a suit of a sure-going shape and form, too long the sleeves and too short on the legs, and too unaccommodating everywhere, terminating earthward in a pair of Wellington boots, and surmounted by a tall, stiff hat, which no mortal could have worn at sea in any way in other heaven. Nevertheless, a glimpse at his sagacious, weather-beaten face, or his strong brown hand, would have established the captain's calling. Whereas Mr. Pettifer, a man of a certain plump neatness, with a curly whisker, an elaborately nautical in a jacket, and shoes, and all things correspondent, looked no more like a seaman, beside Captain Jorgan, than he looked like a sea serpent. The two climbed high up the village, which had the most arbitrary turns and twists in it, so that the cobbler's house came dead across the ladder, and to have held a reasonable cause, he must have gone through his house, and for him too, as he sat at his work between two little windows, with one eye microscopically on the geological formation of that part of Devonshire, and the other telescopically in the open sea. The two climbed high up the village, and stopped before a quaint little house, on which was painted Mrs. Raybrock Draper, and also Post Office. Before it ran a rill of murmuring water, and access to it was gained by a little plank bridge. Here's the name, said Captain Jorgan. Sure enough, you can come in if you like, Tom. The captain opened the door and passed into an old little shop, about six feet high, with a great variety of beams and bumps in the ceiling, and besides a principal window giving under large of stones, a purblind little window of a single pane of glass, peeping out of an abutting corner at a sun-lighted ocean, and winking at its brightness. "'How do you do, ma'am?' said the captain. "'I'm very glad to see you. I've come to see a long way to see you.' "'Have you, sir? Then I'm sure I'm very glad to see you, though I don't know you from Adam.' Thus a comely elderly woman, short stature, plump form, sparkling and dark of eye, who, perfectly clean and neat herself, stood in the midst of her perfectly clean and neat arrangements, and surveyed Captain Jorgan with smiling curiosity. Ah, but you are a sailor, sir, she added, almost immediately, and with a slight movement of her hands, that was not very unlike bringing them. 
then you're heartily welcome thank you ma'am said the captain i don't know what it is i'm sure that brings out the salt in me but everybody seems to see it on the crown of my hat and the collar of my coat yes ma'am i'm in that way of life and the other gentleman too miss raybrock well now ma'am said the captain glancing shrewdly at the other gentleman you all deny right that he goes to sea if that makes him a sailor this my steward ma'am tom pettifer he's been almost all trades you can name in the course of his life would have bought all your chairs and tables once if you had wished to sell him but now he's my steward my name's jorgen and i'm a ship owner and i sell my own and my partnership and have done so this five and twenty year according to custom i'm called captain jorgen but i'm no more than captain bless your heart than you are perhaps you'll come into my parlour sir and take a chair said mrs raybrock exactly what i was going to propose myself ma'am after you thus replying and enjoining tom to give an eye to the shop captain jorgen followed miss raybrock into a little low back room decorated with divers plants and pots tea-trays old china teapots and punch-bowls which was at once the private sitting-room of Freybrook family and the inner cabinets of the post office at the village of steepways now ma'am said the captain it don't signify send to you where i am born except but here the shadow of someone entering fell upon the captain's figure and he broke off to dull himself up slapped both his legs and ejaculate never knew such a thing in all my life here he is again how are you these words referred to young feller who had so taken captain jorgen's fancy down at the pier to make it all quite complete he came in accompanied by the sweetheart whom the captain had detected looking over the wall a prettier sweetheart the sun could not have shone upon that shining day as she stood before the captain with her rosy lips just parted in surprise her brown eyes a little wider open than usual from the same cause and her breathing a little quickened by the ascent and possibly by some mysterious hurry and flurry at the parlour door in which the captain had observed her face to be for a moment totally eclipsed by southwestern heart she looked so charming that the captain felt himself under a moral obligation to slap both his legs again she was very simply dressed with no other ornament than an autumnal flower in her bosom she wore neither hat nor bonnet but merely a scarf or kerchief folded squarely back over the head to keep the sun off according to a fashion that may be sometimes seen in the more genial parts of england as well as of italy and which is probably the first fashion of headdress that came into the world when grasses and leaves went out in my country said the captain rising to give her his chair and dexterously sliding it close to another chair on which the young fisherman must necessarily establish himself in my country we should call devonshire beauty first-rate whenever a frank manner is offensive it is because it's strained or feigned for there may be quite as much intolerable affectation in plainness as in mincing nicety all that the captain said and did was honestly according to his nature and his nature was open nature and good nature 
therefore when he paid this little compliment and expressed with a speculative of his knowing eye i see how it is and nothing could be better he had established a delicate confidence on that subject with the family i was saying to your wealthy mother said the captain to the young man after again introducing himself by name and occupation i was saying to your mother and you're very like her that it didn't signify where i was born except that i was raised on a question asking ground where the babies as soon as they ever come into the world inquire of their mothers now how old may you be and what air you going to name me which is a fact here he slapped his leg such being the case i may be excused for asking if your name is alfred yes sir my name is alfred returned the young man i'm not a conjurer pursued the captain and don't think me so or i shall write soon undeceive you likewise don't think if you please though i do come from that country of the babies and am asking questions for question-asking sake for i am not somebody belonging to you and to the sea my elder brother hugh returned the young man he said it in an altered and lower voice and glanced at his mother who raised her hands hurriedly and put them together across her black gown and looked eagerly at the visitor no for god's sake don't think that said the captain in a solemn way i bring no good tidings of him there was a silence and the mother turned her face to the fire and put her hand between it and her eyes the young fisherman slightly motioned toward the window and the captain looking in that direction saw a young widow sitting at a neighbouring window across a little garden engaged in needlework with a young child sleeping on her bosom the silence continued until the captain asked of alfred how long is it since it happened he shipped for his last voyage better than three years ago ship truck upon some reef or rock as i take it said the captain and all hands lost yes well said the captain after a shorter silence here i said who may come to the same man like enough he holds the seas in the hollow of his hand we must all strike somewhere and go down our comfort then for ourselves and one another is to have done our duty i'd wager your brother did his he did answered the young fisherman if ever man strove faithfully in all occasions to do his duty my brother did my brother was not a quick man anything but that but he was a faithful true and just man we were the sons of a small tradesman in this country sir yet our father was as watchful as good name as if he had been a king a precious sight more so i hope bearing into mind the general run of that class of critter said the captain but i interrupt my brother considered that our father left a good name to us to keep clear and true your brother considered right said the captain and you couldn't take care of the better legacy but again i interrupt no for i have nothing more to say we know that you live well for the good name and we feel certain that he died well for the good name and now it has come to my keeping and that's all well spoken cried the captain well spoken young man concerning the manner of your brother's death by this time the captain had released the hand he had shaken and sat with his own broad brown hands spread out on his knees and spoke aside 
concerning the manner of your brother's death, it may be that I have some information to give you, though it may not be, for I am far from sure. Can we have a little talk alone? The young man rose, but not before the captain's quick eye had noticed that, on the pretty sweetheart's turning to the window to greet the young widow with a nod and a wave of the hand. The young widow had held up to her needlework, on which she was engaged, with a patient, pleasant smile. So the captain said, being on his legs, What might she be making now? What is Margaret making, Kitty? asked the young fisherman, with one of his arms apparently mislaid somewhere. As Kitty only blushed in reply, the captain doubled himself up as far as he could, standing, and said, with a slap of his leg, In my country we should call it wedding clothes. Fact. We should, I do assure you. But it seemed to strike the captain in another light, too, for his love was not a long one, and he added, in quite a gentle tone, And it's very pretty, my dear, to see her, poor young thing with a fatherless child upon her bosom, giving up her thoughts to your home and your happiness. It's very pretty, my dear, and it's very good. May your marriage be more prosperous than hers, and be a comfort to her, too. May the blessed son see you all happy together, in possession of the good name, long after I have done pluffing the great salt field that is never sown. Kitty answered very earnestly, Oh, thank you, sir, with all my heart. And in her loving little way, kissed her hand to him, and possibly my implication to the young fisherman, too, as the latter held the parlour to open, for the captain to pass out. End of section 7 A Message from the Sea Chapter 1 Recording by April Gonzalez Cavite, Philippines